If you have your Bibles, let's open them, please, for a few moments to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. I think we'll be a good bit shorter than this morning, but Nehemiah, chapter 4, and we have covered several of these chapters in recent months. We're kind of back on here just tonight. I want us to look at some of the highlights in this great chapter. A little background, Nehemiah has a very cush job in the temple and, uh, uh, excuse me, in the palace working for the king. He is the king's cupbearer. He is the one that tastes the food. He hears word that his hometown, Jerusalem, is in ruins. He is brokenhearted. God has judged his city and he's 600 miles from home and he wants to do something about it. What can he do about it? And so here it is. Uh, he follows God's leading. He says, I'm going back to rebuild uh, my home city. And this is the theme of Nehemiah, much like our theme for the year, building and rebuilding. Uh, there's a uh, question asked in the book of Psalms, Psalms 11. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The answer is this, rebuild. If the foundation to a marriage is destroyed, what can you do? You can rebuild. The foundation to a nation like America right now is destroyed. What can be done? Rebuild. There's nothing that God cannot take and start rebuilding. Uh, whatever, whatever you're facing right now, the rubbish, uh, what's been broken down, what's been, what's been demolished by the devil and sin, God says, I can rebuild. I can rebuild. So notice just a few of the highlights here. We have this man. He is not a prophet. He's not a preacher. He's not an evangelist. He's not a church planter. He's just a good man. Uh, we would call him a layman. A layman. A good church member. In Nehemiah chapter 1, he's now on the site. He's, he, he's cast the vision. People are starting to build. And notice, enemies came. Opposition. We could call it pressure. He says, but it came to pass. Anytime when the word but starts the sentence, some negative things are happening. Things are going well, but it came to pass when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth in great indignation and mocked the Jews. They were angry. They laughed at them. Now they spoke out loud. Verse 2, he spake before his brethren and the army of, the, of, of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Notice all these questions. Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Notice what Nehemiah does. Verse 4. Hear, O our God. He's praying. As you're rebuilding, you've got to bathe. You've got to bathe everything you're doing in prayer. I don't think he was praying out loud here. This is the, probably the first time in Scripture someone's praying silently because he's with a group of people. Here, oh, our God, we're despised. So verse 6, so built we the wall. Uh, the last phrase, for the people had a mind to work. A lot of this parallels just the Christian life. Uh, uh, it takes work. And then we notice here at the end of verse 7, they were very wroth. So he's got enemies. He's got opposition. 
Uh, he doesn't only have demonic, unseen spiritual forces, but he's got visible people in town that just, just hate them building the wall. Verse 8, now they got together and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Look at verse 9. Notice this leader. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. He's just praying. Lord, man, they're ganging up on us. Lord, you're going to have to help us. This isn't our wall. It's your wall. It's, it's your work. Uh, uh, this isn't my idea. It's your idea. And they're praying. Now, notice what else he faces. Verse 10. Now, some of his own people are negative. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. Let me encourage you. If you have something uh, uh, negative to say, it's usually best not to say it. Something at the house. You don't like supper, teenagers or kids? Uh, it's best not to say it. Just uh, uh, You do something better when you uh, get married and have your kids. Let's see what kind of meals you serve. Okay, moving right along. It must not have been good suppers this week or something. And, 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 and so it says in verse 11, uh, we're not, uh, 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 these negative words, verse 11, And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Now they're not just being criticized, but now they're being threatened. Verbally, this, this, this group of people are telling the people that are rebuilding the walls, we're going to kill you. So it's one thing to be criticized. It's another thing to be threatened. Can you imagine how they must have felt? They're putting these bricks up and people are saying, we're going to kill you. Verse 12, it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us 10 times over and over from all places when she shall return unto us they will be upon you they're coming after you so here it is they're trying to build a work for God and people are saying we're going to kill you people are criticizing the work everywhere they turn hey you better watch your back they're going to take you out can you imagine the pressure they must have felt trying to do this task and then notice what the leader says and I love this. Someone's got to lead in our families. Someone's got to lead in our nation. Someone's got to uh, be leading in ministries. Uh, notice what Nehemiah says. And he's a layman. He's not a prophet. He says here in verse 14, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren. Boy, I like Nehemiah. He just stands up and he just says, you've heard all the negative and we heard all the naysayers and we can't do this. But remember, God is for us. Boy, I just love this guy, Nehemiah. And all the rest of it, it says, they went to the work and went to the work. They labored in the work. And later on it says, and they finished. I just love him. I love this guy. I want to speak this evening for a few moments on this subject. Here it is. Dealing with pressure. Dealing with pressure. We live in a day that is filled with pressure. Some is self-induced. Some is induced just from living in the West. Years ago, I was in the emergency room. Chest pains, 
They've got me hooked up to this, uh, these EKGs and all these tests and IVs. And a man looked at me in the ER and he said, this is not your first time here. Chest pains. Who do you work for? Why is your boss driving you into the ground? Wherever you work, sir, you need to quit your job. You know, I felt so embarrassed. I didn't even give the guy a track. <laughs> I felt like, you'll never want to come. And I asked him, I said, what would cause all this? Here's what he said. The Western world lifestyle. Living in the fast lane. You that have your driver's license, you ever been driving on the interstate? And some person's just slow. They, they think it's several lanes. It's not several lanes. There's a couple lanes and there's the fast lane to pass people. You don't just live in the fast lane. But sometimes we do. And a lot of times that brings pressure. I was at the house with my dad. A couple quick illustrations. I'd flown to Louisiana to see my mom and dad years ago. And we'd eaten supper and we'd done some things and talked. And now my mom and dad are yawning. Oh, it's been a long day. It's like 8 o'clock at night. And I said, Dad, what's next? He said, do what? I said, what are we going to do now? It's just 8 o'clock. He said, son, they have ruined you. They have ruined you in California. What do you mean what's next? It's time for bed. We're the only country in the world, you can Google this later, that has a mountain called Rushmore. <laughs> now why was Nehemiah under pressure? There was a lot to do. Can you imagine building a wall around Napa? How long would that take us? If the valley's five miles across, if the city itself is eight miles long, that's eight and eight and then 10, 16 and 10, 26 miles of wall. If the wall's just 20 feet tall, that's a lot of square footage. How can a man show up in a town and say, we're going to build a wall all the way around the city? How do you do that? It was a lot to do. Not only that, he was unfamiliar with the task. It didn't say Nehemiah, the man who owned Acme Brick Company. The contractor in masonry. I don't think he had any experience in this task at all. Number three, his life was in constant danger. Now, I've never been in the military. They didn't want me. Asthma, flat feet. If you can't walk and can't breathe, that is a negative. But I've watched enough movies. I've talked to enough men and women who've been close to combat. And when bullets are flying overhead and martyrs are being shot and hand grenades are being tossed into bunkers and tents and You're on pretty high alert. You study the battles. Battles didn't take place for three months in a row. There were battles for hours, maybe several days. It wasn't months. 
No one was under that pressure for like years. They were under it and then they got out from under it. Nehemiah's life was in danger. And then I want to say this too. He was openly criticized. Not just in danger, but he was criticized by everyone there. I want to just give you several thoughts about this thing of dealing with pressure. Dealing with pressure. Uh, consider this for a moment. Can you imagine what Jesus' schedule must have been like? He had raised the dead. He had healed the lepers and the blind and the crippled. I wonder how many people had a friend to bring to Jesus. I think from the time he got up in the morning to the time he hit the sack at night, he was mobbed. The Bible said even a woman dove to touch the hem of his garment. They were bringing people to him all the time. He's in a house teaching the Bible. Someone cuts a hole in the roof and lets a guy down. Others are bringing their babies in for Jesus to, to touch them and bless them. The disciples are saying, don't bring anybody else. He said, uh, 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 tell them to go home. We're hungry. You've been teaching three days. Uh, it, it uh, they didn't want to leave. He'd get in a ship to go to the other side of the uh, lake or the sea and then a mob would hear and they'd walk around and they'd meet him as soon as he got off. He just didn't get much of a break. What is the secret dealing with these pressures of life? I read an article this week. Say, when you're getting to the points, I've got them right here. I'll give them to you in a second. Read about a nationally known pastor this week. He has over 145 million things in print. Not different books, but that many of books and brochures he's written that have been printed. 145 million. He has been called in some magazines America's pastor. Their church was so big that in the city he pastored in, it was posted as one of the sites to see. One of the tourist sites. Go by and see their church. He had a Bible study he conducted every morning. Every Monday he realized he had three brand new sermons to come up with. Thousands of people to pastor. People joining the church every Sunday. And this week he said at age 50, I couldn't take the pressure anymore. Everyone thought my marriage was perfect, my kids were perfect, I had it all together. He said, I had to print a new book every year. The publishers were on me. I'd have these new sermons, all this counseling, all these meetings. It just got so big. So, I turned to drinking. That's what he said. He said, I drive to kind of the sketchy side of town and I'd buy alcohol and put it in a brown paper bag and just sit in the parking lot there at the store and just guzzle it down to numb the pressure. I did that for a long time, he confessed. 
He said, then I realized I just need to come clean on it. We all have pressure. And some of you are saying, well, which nationally known pastor was that? See me after the service. 20 bucks gives you the answer. <laughs> so here was someone nationally known. They dealt with the pressure in the wrong way. In the wrong way. Let's talk about this just for a moment. What are some of these pressures that we can have? Number one, overcommitment. Overcommitment. God called Nehemiah. He didn't just take that on himself. It's something he commanded him to do. I like what the Bible says about Moses in the Old Testament. And I think it's in Joshua where he says, And Moses did all of what God commanded him to do. So what we have to figure out, folks, is this. What has God told us to do? Let's do that before we add other things to our schedule. How many times have I met people and it's, oh, our life's just such a mess. We got church Sunday morning, and then our kids are in ballet on Sunday night, and then I'm in a bowling league. And I'm not against bowling. And I'm in a bowling league, and then we're in little league, and we got this, and we're in sports, and then we got that, and then we're taking karate. And, and pretty soon, seven days a week is filled up, and they're just stressed. Then we have a married couple's getaway that's on the calendar a year in advance, and man, we just can't do it all. Sometimes it's us overbooking our schedule. That wasn't something God commanded us to do. It may not be something evil. It could be uh, something good. But I'm just saying, you have to be so careful about overloading your schedule. Life is hard, period. That's why we don't do a lot of extra stuff at church. So you're going from home Tuesday night, and now you're going Thursday night. Now you're going every Saturday night. Uh, Sunday night's great. Wednesday night's great. If you're in the well ministry, Friday night's great. But you ought to be home a lot. Okay, it's kind of quiet. Forget it. Don't ever go home. Just live at the church. We'll give you more to do. We're starting a revival tomorrow night. And so, overcommitment of schedule. Overcommitment. Be careful. When you dread doing something, you may be overcommitted. How did I volunteer for this? I'm selling Girl Scout cookies every night for the next eight weeks. How did I get in charge of this? And we could go on and on. Number two, debt. Debt. Debt can cause pressure. What's one of the cures to debt? Tithing. At an early age. I still remember my wife would maybe give the kids something to do to earn some extra money. They needed to buy some toy or they needed to, to go somewhere or teen activity and so she would say, if you do this, I'll give you so much money. You vacuum the house, I'll give you this. You scrub out all the toilets and the showers, I'll give you so much. You pull weeds around this, and uh, you can earn money. And she would pay them off times and dimes. If it was a dollar job, she'd say, here it is. Now the first dime goes to the Lord. We tithe. So get your offering envelope, put that dime in there. She was teaching them to tithe, helping them to stay out of debt. Years ago, I needed a motorcycle. I'm not preaching against motorcycles tonight. That's Wednesday night. No. But, but I needed one. I heard 
If, if, if you wanted to attract teenagers to church, you needed to drive a motorcycle. So I drove it with my three-piece suit, my, my tie flapping in the breeze, and, and just thousands of teenagers started coming to church. No, they didn't. Especially when I stopped my first time at a red light and the thing fell over on me. I said, this is not attracting anybody. But I remember I had to have it and I didn't have any money. So I had to get a church member to co-sign for me. I didn't have the cash, so I got someone to pay for it. And I was going to pay the payments. You know what that caused in my life? Pressure. So every time I saw that man, it was Brother Durbin at church, I'd say, man, I got to pay that off. Got to pay it off. Debt causes pressure. We lived in a little uh, 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 house, our, our first house we bought in Louisiana. It was a brick home, three bedrooms, one bath. And I just felt like we outgrew it. I said, I have found a bigger house. My wife said, how much is the payment? I said, here's the payment. She said, we won't be able to eat. We won't have any food. I said, I'm dying in this house. It's too small. It's too cramped. And uh, we need to have this bigger house. And she cried. She goes, but we won't have food. Sometimes if we're not careful, debt brings pressure on us. Okay. I'll preach too long. Ring the bell and we'll get out of here. Okay. When we built the new building, our budget was $790,000 for the new building 23 years ago. When we broke ground for that building, all the demons of hell were released. Contractors lost their licenses to practice in Napa. One of the contractors passed away with a job injury. Someone fell off the scaffolding, broke their leg. I did the funeral of one of the contractors. He died. I mean, you name it, it happened. And they were volunteering material and volunteering their time. Well, that budget went up to $1.2 million. I remember driving to the college to teach at Golden State, and I ended up in San Francisco. <laughs> I think I was visiting Brother Chris or something. I mean, I'm in San Francisco, and I'm saying, what am I doing at Pier 39? <laughs> I don't teach at Pier 39. You know what that was? Pressure. Pressure. God knows we can only take so much. Be careful adding additional pressure. Let's keep going here. Several other things. I know this is kind of heavy and some of you teams are saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no pressure. We cannot wait <laughs> until you're loaded down with pressure. What causes pressure? Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. The Bible says, pour out your heart to the Lord. The Bible says, I will pour out my soul to the Lord. Only so much fits in the cup, you got to pour it out in prayer. If you don't pour it out in prayer, more pressure, more pressure. It just builds up and builds up. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let me give you another one here. Carrying a heavy load. Be patient with everybody. Everybody's got different load abilities. You never know the load someone else is carrying. My wife and I were at a married couple's getaway. We were speaking out this week. And I asked some of the people, I said, now, I don't know you well. I said, how many kids? Nine. I said, none? 
Nine. I said, you have nine. And I thought it was a German accent. Nine. I said, and they didn't look that old. I said, none. And it's trying not to embarrass. Nine. Like nine. I said, how many y'all have? Six. How many you have? Five. And it just happened this way. How many y'all? We have four. How many? Three, two, one, zero, negative one. It, 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 it kind of went like that. Can you imagine the pressure of getting nine kids ready for church on Sunday morning? I think of one lady, she's faithful to our church. She's faithful to be late every Sunday. Has no kids to get ready for church. <laughs> it's pressure. Grab the shoe. Where's the shoe? Can't find my purse. All right, you're all loaded up. Let's go. Where's the keys? Another mate took off early and had the keys. It's pressure. Be patient with the bus workers. You got yourself to church. Now they got 27 to find and get on the van and, hey, hey you're staying for the luncheon? Are you kidding me? I got 27 people to bring home. Be patient. Hey, your hair's messed up. If you had 27 people on a van that holds eight, your hair may be messed up. And they were all in seat belts. <laughs> Think they were just wrapped around the middle of them or something. Carrying heavy loads. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, I was shipwrecked three and a half days. I spent two days in the deep snake bit. I was beaten with rods. Thrice I was stoned, or whatever it is, three, three times with rods. Twice I was stoned. He said, and then, on top of this, the care of all the churches. He said, I'm the guy they call when there's trouble in the church or they need a pastor. They have a question from all these churches I've started. He said, in addition, all these churches. Paul was saying, I got a, a lot on my plate. I got a lot of pressure. What can we do to help these things? Sometimes it's carrying a heavy load. I want to give you this one too. Sometimes it's the past. The past is heavy. You've got to deal with it. You just, just got to deal with it. You can't totally forget it, but you can be so busy, you don't dwell on it all the time. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. If I would have... If I just would have, I should have. I wish I wouldn't have. You know, it's easy to look back at things we would change. You can't change it. Just move on. The past is too heavy. It creates pressure. Here's another one. Bitterness. Bitterness causes pressure. It's hard to love him and hate them. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate. Don't get them mixed up. I hate you. It causes pressure. So, Pastor, you're just giving us a list of things not to do. But here's another one. Kids with too much energy cause pressure. I still remember, I wish somehow we could have videoed it in the hallway of the church. Always love it when older people have kids. You know who knows how to raise kids? Those who've never had them. You know who knows all about marriage? Those who've never been married. 
You know who knows all about pastoring a church? Those who've never pastored a church. You know who how, uh, knows how to run a bus route? Someone who's never worked on a bus route. It, it's just that way. But I remember seeing, seeing this man in the hallway and he had two kids with him. It was years ago. He had two kids and they were throwing an all-out demonic fit. Come here. Come here. And let go. You know, they're screaming at the top of their lungs. He's got a Bible and trying to hang on. Probably his wife's finally getting to talk to someone. And I'm looking, and several people are looking, and we're kind of grinning like, okay, Mr. Expert, you know, uh, show us how to do it. And he says, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and we felt like saying, we can tell. <laughs> Kids cause pressure, especially if they have a lot of energy. Now, what can you do? Just quickly, wind them down at night. You can't go straight from a horror movie and let's go to bed. Okay, the door's closed. <laughs> Wind them down. Lights a little bit dimmer. Lights a little bit dimmer. Off of the devices. Nothing that stirs up their mind. Let's get you a glass of milk. Let's get in bed. It's prayer time. It's quieter. You can't be singing hallelujah, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord right before bedtime. Wind them down. Read the skunk book. Read Sleepsville, Dr. Seuss. And they yawn. And they yawn, and they yawn, and pretty soon you're asleep, and, and so it's okay. <laughs> Kids with too much energy, you don't want to wind them down. I want to say this too. Help your kids learn what the country called outside is like. It used to be a place called outside, and it doesn't exist much anymore. If you don't believe me, go out soul winning on Saturday. Drive through neighborhoods, there's basketball goals, no one's shooting hoop. There's parks that our city money has built. No one's outside skateboarding, no one's in the park, no one's riding a bicycle. They're all inside. Or this. I'm not saying that's a sin. But that's why they have so much energy. Get them outside. Get them on the trampoline like just 12 hours a day. Here's a basketball, once you shoot 12,000 shots every day. They'll be sleepy. Okay, moving right along. Number next, doing things last minute causes pressure. I'm not going to ask you how many of you at college did an all-nighter working on a term paper. Coffee brewing. And I'm not saying that's a sin. Doing things last minute causes stress. Years ago, there was someone in the church... Their dad had a disease and it looked pretty imminent he was going to die. One of the sons called me and said, Pastor, doesn't look like our dad's going to live long. What's that place? Y'all all went fishing in Cabo. He's always wanted to catch a marlin. You know, I felt like saying, a little bit too late, fellas. A little bit too late. Your dad can't even get on a plane. Last minute. It causes stress. Someone asked, so, Pastor, what was your mom's last words? She didn't have any. She kind of said it all along. She just kind of said all her words as she was living out her life. Sometimes we wait to the last minute to find out if someone's saved, to do something, to prepare something. It causes stress on us. 
and on others as well.